As a newly wedded couple, my wife and I were trying to decide whether we should get a dog. I grew up around Stevie, a black lab, and Pepper, my husky shepherd of 18 years. Rest in peace, buddy. My mom currently owns a golden retriever and a serenely quiet chihuahua. But Teresa, my wife, on the other hand, has never owned a dog before. As a millennial couple, and as working professionals who live in a cozy two-bedroom apartment, we had to try to figure out if we were ready to get a dog. But what were the factors we should consider? Were we ready? Welcome to Millennials with Machetes, the podcast that is guided by one question. How are millennials hacking their way through the thick of life? Hi, Trailblazers. JQ here. I'm your navigation guide slash host. And if you're ready, let's start swinging at these shrubs. Today, I'm joined by America's canine educator, Tom Davis. Over the past 12 years, Tom has worked with over 65, nuh-uh, 8,500 dogs. <laughs> His Upstate Canine Academy in New York has over 165,000 YouTube subscribers, 76,000 Instagram followers, and a ton of views. I can't even count them. It's too many. This guy is too cool. His podcast, No Bad Dogs, was voted number one by Blogfeed, and he's even trained the New York governor Cuomo's dog. As Tom and I started talking through when a couple should get a dog together, I started to wonder, is now a good time to get a dog? Anytime's really a good time to get a new dog, especially um, if you have the time. I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter like when you get a dog. It just matters how much time you have for the dog and with the dog, you know, mm -hmm. because if you get married and then you are both really busy. I mean, marriage is, it definitely is a, is another step into the relationship game, but you know, it's not going to change too much of how you're living your life and your work schedule, you know, for the mm -hmm. most part. So I would say, I think it's really about how much time you have to spend with a particular dog and raising them. And, um, but I think it's a good idea. Some people like to, some people, you know, choose not to have children or they can. Um, so I think dogs are, are somewhat of an equivalent to that as far as responsibility and, and dual responsibility and ownership. Anytime you have enough time for a dog is probably the best time to get a dog. Yeah, and I'll definitely dig into that a bit more shortly. But if we do get a dog or, or have a dog in our life during this pandemic, what should people be doing to set themselves up for success? Now is not really a question of do we have enough time? It's will we have enough time after COVID? So I think the bigger question is is making sure that potential new dog owners are really thinking things through and making responsible decisions during this time because hopefully, and I would say it's a very probable thing that at some point in the next two years, things are going to go back to pretty normal um, as far as mm -hmm. how we live and how much we, we work. Uh, I, I definitely think that there's going to be different applications, you know, face masks and things like that. But those are like little things. But I think as far as people getting back to the reality of working a lot and having responsibilities and bringing kids to school and, you know, so mm -hmm. on and so forth, the most important thing for people to think about is in the future, how much time they're going to have when this is all over. Yeah. And, and I think because you're bringing up this concept of having enough time, 
I'd like to look at it from maybe two different perspectives. One is what are the logistical or scheduling implications of getting a dog from the dog's perspective, maybe first, and then from the human's perspective. And so how would getting a puppy change our lives in terms of, you know, what's needed for the dog when I think about what a healthy environment looks like and the requirements for time implications of, of raising this dog well, what what are those scheduling implications? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think just making sure you have enough time sketched out, um, you know, training at least an hour accumulative throughout the day, making sure that they get out and they go for a walk. I think oftentimes mm-hmm. people think that they have a fenced in yard and that's enough for dogs. And I can't stress enough, you know, if people come into my facility and are so desperate for help with their dog for whatever reason, it's basic obedience or it's behavior modification or what have you. We typically won't even work with that individual unless they, they have been doing the proper exercise with their dog and getting their dog out and exercising because Mm -hmm. that's the most important thing with working with dogs is mental and physical stimulation and outletting those things. So, you know, I guess to, to, to get back down into specifics an hour training, at least, Um, Mm -hmm. at least one walk a day around the neighborhood, as well as having enough time carved away for potty training. If it is a dog that needs that extra time. How long would you say is a good duration of taking your dog out for a walk? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it really just depends on the, the breed of the dog, honestly. Um, because every dog has different desires of how long they can be out and how long that they feel like they've burned enough energy to be mentally, you know, balanced, if you will. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my St. Bernard, he goes out for maybe a 15 minute walk, which is, I don't know, probably a mile, you know, on a walk. And he's pretty tired when we get back, but then like I have a shepherd that is not even, it's not even scratching the surface. She needs to be running for like 20 minutes straight of full cardio sprinting back and forth in order to actually like lay down for the first time during the day. So I think it's a good question, but I also think, um, it's really breed dependent. Um, but I think overall, you know, at least a 15 to a half an hour walk, but it's not only good for your dog. It's, it's, it's also great for, for people as well. Yeah, especially during COVID, I'm like, man, I need a, I need to walk way more than I than I am right now. Yeah. So I feel like there are a few threads that are coming out, and and you're starting to make this pretty real for me. Um, just to take stock of what you've said so far, it sounds like quality time, right? So the training is is an hour, walks maybe 15 minutes to half an hour, mm-hmm. and then what about play time? How much time do you normally spend on a daily basis? And it really just depends on what you're doing for play. So, you know, diving a little bit deeper into like what I do as a professional, there's so many different types of engagement exercises and play exercises that you can do with your dog. And what we, what we really uh, say in the dog training world is engagement exercises, because when you're playing with your dog, really what you're trying to do is, is get your dog to think and to do different things throughout the day to get them mentally uh, exhausted, if you will. So Mm -hmm. when we're playing with our dog or we're engaging with our dog, it's a really good question because many times dog owners just assume walk your dog, play with your dog, train Mm -hmm. your dog. And it's so much more involved and layered than just that. Every single dog is so different. But um, I think just teaching your dog. So what I like to tell people is make training 
make a training exercise that play. So if your dog eats a cup of kibble in the morning, I would take that cup of kibble and do some obedience exercises to not only get your dog working for your food, to get the dog engaged with you and looking for different types of things from you, but as well as teaching them new things and feeding them all in the same, the same activity. Doing small little incremental sessions, maybe 15 minute training sessions and play sessions with your dog. Um, and then as well as like actual play of what the dog owner would probably perceive play as, which would probably be fetch or chuck it or frisbee hmm. or something like that. I mean, it re- like, I, like I said, if I played fetch with my St. Bernard, he would be done in about two minutes. When I do it with my shepherd, it's going to take 25 to 30 minutes to get her to that level. Yeah. We've covered a lot in terms of quality time and engagement time uh, from what you've called it for training, walks, mm-hmm. playtime. And it kind of sounds like about two, two and a half, maybe three hours spread out throughout the day. In terms of bio time, the food, the potty, I expect there to be messes. But what do those messes look like apart from poo and pee on my rug? Is there a lot more than that that I should be aware of before I get a dog? Mm. It's all about management as far as dogs, you know, having an accident and going pee and poop in the house. And we're basically teaching dogs to hold it for us for two reasons is a, they don't want to get in trouble by their owner and B, Mm -hmm. because typically when we're doing potty training, they're in a confined space like a kennel or a crate and they don't want to go on themselves. So we have a couple different ways to, to do that, but that's really what that looks like is just making sure that you're making a schedule and managing the consumption of food and water for the dog. And there's really nothing else in between that is like the secret of this or that. It's it's very basic situations that you're dealing with. Yeah. And thanks for letting me kind of drill down on this because I, I think a lot of people dive into getting dogs right away and they're like, oh, this is going to be great and it's going to be so much fun and they're so cute. I, w- I want to be level-headed, right? Mm-hmm. So when I think about the two-ish hours of quality time and then now that we're talking about bio breaks and, and scheduling, that has me asking, am I willing to wake up to take the right. dog out to pee and poo 7 a.m. first thing in the morning, 5 p.m. when my wife gets home? 10 p.m. before we go to bed. I, I live in a rainy city, and so um, in Vancouver, it just rains all the time. And so that, like, emotionally, am I willing to do it when I don't feel like it? Yeah, exactly. And that's what it comes down to is just, you know, dogs don't really care what time it is. They they go off our schedule. So if you wake up at 3 o'clock in the middle of the night to grab a glass of water or use the restroom or something, the dog's like, all right, let's do it. We're going out. We're going to play. And you're, like, <laughs> half asleep. Yeah. And they just don't, you know, they don't care about that. So mm-hmm. that's something that I think a lot of people don't really take into consideration that dogs really aren't like on a sleep. They they get on a sleep schedule only because of us. They're not like, oh, hey, it's nighttime. I'm going to go lay down because I'm tired. Like they'll bounce up at any time of the day and go rip around because that's what animals do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a good point. You, you brought up sleeping. So we haven't really talked a lot about that. But to that point, do I hear that puppies actually sleep 14 to 18 hours a day, but then as they get older, they kind of just sleep when necessary. What's a good amount of sleep required for a dog generally in terms of what they need? So it it really is dependent on your schedule too, because I think that if you have kids running around or if you have a busy life or like I pretty much work from home before and after COVID with what I do. And I know that that sounds interesting from a dog trainer, but um, the majority of the work I do is 
online. Um, for me, you know, I'm home pretty much all day and my dogs are asleep. Basically, when I get out of my chair, my dogs know it's an opportunity to go do something. But if I sit back down in front of my computer or on my laptop or doing podcasts like this, um, then they know that they're going to go and rest. So I think dogs, as far as sleeping patterns, regardless of their age, again, will adapt to what you do as, 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 a, as a human. So for context, my wife and I are thinking about getting a Shiba Inu. Mm-hmm. We've done a bit of research in terms of what to expect. And so as, as I think through what this will look like for a Shiba, you know, maybe that'll help feed into the answers too. You brought up space a little bit in terms of what kind of space is required. Being that my, my wife and I have moved into a you know, pretty small two-bedroom apartment, what kind of space requirements would, let's say, a Shiba Inu need? Yeah. So Shibas are, are pretty, pretty good with not a ton of space. Every single dog needs some sort of physical and mental stimulation. Mm-hmm. However, you know, like with the Shiba, they're also pretty cool with just going for a stroll around the, around the neighborhood and then coming back and hanging out at house. And Shibas to me are, are they, they, their characteristics and their behavior are much like cats. They really don't need like, a, they don't act like, a, they act more like a cat than they do a dog. So with a Shiba, you can get away with uh, making sure that the dog just gets one walk a day and doing some basic obedience in the house to get the dog stimulated. And you'd be fine with that. And of course, mm-hmm. they would also be happier and more fulfilled if you did more than that. Maybe that's a good point to segue from both my wife and I as working professionals, let's say we're out of the house nine hours a day, say 8 a.m. to 5.30, 6 p.m. Is that, a, is that good for the dog? And, and how will having a Shiba change our schedule in terms of, does that mean we won't be able to go out anymore? How will we be restricted? Are those things to kind of consider as, as we go into picking up the Shiba? Yeah, it's a good question. Creating a schedule early on is... Uh, important. And I think that you really need to make sure that essentially what you're going to do is you're going to say, okay, what is my, what is my life going to be like in the future with this dog? Like right now during COVID or whatever uh, is going on, what is the, what's, what's life going to be like after this, when we get back to the, it's hard, you know, with being, it's, <laughs> it's tough to be like politically correct during this time. Cause you know, if you say like, hey, what are we going to do after COVID? And then, uh, you know, worrying about people saying that uh, COVID's never going to go away and so on and so forth. So generally speaking, uh, once and if we get back to normalize, more normalization with, with our schedules, just making sure that your dog is comfortable in a crate uh, or as comfortable uh, leaving as you leave and making sure that you don't create any separation anxiety tendencies with your dog. Um, mm-hmm. Because when you leave, you know, putting your dog in a crate is the safest thing for them, especially during the puppy stages. Yeah, it's good you're talking about separation. And, and I travel a lot for work. Um, so, so I thought it would be a great idea for our pup to keep Teresa company. Any words of advice on not being an absentee doggy dad? Like not being present. So, so if I'm traveling for, yeah. for work and yeah. Teresa's there, anything that I should look to do more of like when I am back spending more time than I normally yeah, would. I with think, the dog. Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, slide into these transitions as uneventful as possible. So you're not creating this association or this marking system 
oftentimes people, when they leave, they start doing certain things to the dog to then prompt them or start associating certain things. Like when you're leaving and your suitcase is out and you're on the ground and you're saying, it's okay, buddy, I'm going to be back. All of that is very terrible, terrible things to do for a dog because you're basically giving them the association that you're about to leave them for as long as you normally do on your work trips. And then when you get home, it becomes an override of stimulation and becomes very stressful for the dog because yes, they're excited. They're wagging their tail, but it's not good. It's not, it's not a healthy excitement. It's, Oh my God, I missed you. Um, I thought you were gone forever. And so making sure that when you leave and when you come home, you're not making a big deal about it. And oftentimes dog owners will become extremely selfish during these types of situations because we are excited to see our dogs. That's for sure. And that's normal and that's natural to be, to have that relationship. However, you just have to be careful what effects it does on your dog. I mean, mm. like you get the pictures and the, in the videos of dogs sitting at the front door with their head down pouting. All of that, all of that is created because a human made that happen. People don't realize that, that everyone that, that, that has a dog that is sat at home because they're on the other side of the door was created by a human being. Mm. So you just have to be careful on your transitions, not to make them a big deal. And if they're not a big deal, then it won't be a big deal. So what I do, let me give you my routine. So I have three dogs. I travel Mm -hmm. very often. I'm probably on the road at least two weekends out of half, half of the, half of the month per weekend traveling and doing dog training all over the country. And for me, what I do, because my dogs have associated certain traveling things with, with what I do, there's nothing I can do about that. That's not, that's not what we're trying to discriminate here. But the point is, is like when I pack, I shut my door, I pack my stuff and I basically will take my suitcase when the dogs are outside and I'll go load it into my vehicle or put it in my garage if I'm taking an Uber to the airport or something. So I eliminate any type of stress they may associate with me leaving on on all levels. It's very simple concept. It's not hard. It's not going out of my way. It's doing the same thing that I normally would do, just kind of hidden from my dogs so they don't become automatically associated with stress and things like that. And then when I come home and, and then when I do leave, I just walk out the door. I don't lay on the floor and, um, you know, sing them a song and tell them how much I'm going to be missing them because it's all terrible, terrible development of, of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that's really such a great point in terms of not overcompensating. I, I think yeah. when I was thinking through it, I thought to myself, man, I should just give my dog more love when I come back so that I don't feel like I'm a bad doggy dad. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of feeds into travel implications on vacations too, right? Not just work. So if I'm going to leave for three weeks and leave them with someone, trying to normalize that more than anything. Right. Yeah, exactly. Normalizing it and not making a big deal out of it. And I think that's like the most, that's the biggest thing. And people like wonder why their dogs get so stressed when they leave. It's because you're making them stressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and again, it becomes very selfish and people don't look at it that way because they're so out of context of like how dogs think with working with thousands of dogs that I have with as many people as I have, it's all the same stuff. The more you continue to associate certain stressful things with your dog because you want to, the more stressed your dogs are going to be. So mm-hmm. 
this is so great. I, I feel like we've talked a lot about uh, the logistical, the scheduling implications. We'd love to shift gears a bit to talk about the sure. financial implications of getting a dog. And possibly if we could break it down into one-time fixed and then variable costs. So maybe to, to kick us off, when I think about one-time costs, I, I think as a dog owner or potential dog owner, uh, I'm not always thinking about everything. And I'm mm-hmm. looking at the the purchase price of how much my Shiba Inu is going to cost. And they normally run anywhere from like $2,500 to $3,000. And that's mm-hmm. pretty high up front. So, so then there's the mentality of like, if I'm struggling to buy the dog in the first place, don't get it, right? But what are some other upfront one-time costs that owners should expect that you, you might not think about outside of the purchase price? Yeah. Um, vet bills. I think people don't don't consider the vet bills a thing. Um, you know, God forbid anything was wrong with your dog. That's expensive, period. Um, mm-hmm. And then just shots and updates and stuff, um, preliminary vet visits for checkups, things like that off the bat people don't think about. I think that that's the first thing. Um, so for vaccines, um, how much, like how, there were like what, three to four shots and, and how much would those cost roughly? Generally speaking, I would say you probably get your booster shots for $150 to $200, depending on where you go. And then you mm-hmm. have to wait, uh, depending on the vaccine too. Some vaccines have different wait times and different, uh, durations of how long you can go back. So it, it's so so variableistic, but, and then you have to yeah. go back for a second round of shots, which could, which could be equally or, or less of value. So there's close to between 200 and $300, depending on your veterinarian. Um, and then you got to think about flea and tick and heartworm. All of those things are expensive. I know for like a Shiba Inu, for an example, a flea and tick collar could be probably 85 to $90. Um, and you have to recycle that every six months. And then heartworm, um, which is another fifty to seventy dollars, depending on the weight of your dog. Um, so there's what I don't know, five hundred bucks ish, right off the bat with just shots and making sure your dog is protected. Wow, and maybe for purposes of this financial exercise, we we could just take the higher end. You know, I feel like it's it's almost more realistic to to aim high, and then if you spend less, that's great. You know, so that mm-hmm. you're not running up your credit card bills, but let's say we're at about 3,500 for the purchase price of the Shiba plus like all the vet shots, et cetera, that you mentioned. I feel like there's more in terms of this, maybe like what a puppy starter kit would be. What, what do you expect if I was to just lump everything together in terms of water bowls, leash and collar, crate, a bed? Um, how much do you think all of that would cost total for, for like to get me started on, on having everything set up for, sure. for our Shiba. Yeah. So bed, uh, you know, again, you could get a bed for 20 bucks. You can get a bed for $200. That's very, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, a leash could run you anywhere from 15 to $30. A collar, like a simple Martingale collar is probably going to be between 15 and $30. Training, again, super variableistic. There's the lowest package of training that we offer at my facility is $500. Um, and how long, how long does that run for? Um, that package includes three private sessions and five group sessions. So you're, you're getting eight sessions together, um, but you're only getting three hours of private sessions. And that's really what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. But with all transparency, we have 
I think relatively competitive pricing for very individualized training and not on a commercial, like it's not going to be like your pet smart or pet co training. Mm-hmm. It's very individualized and tailored to you and your dog. So you get what you pay for with training, I would say. So, I mean, you got to consider those things too. Yeah. Wow. So all in all, let's say the, the vax, the vet costs are like 500, the dogs three, the training's about five. So that's like $4,000. And then, you know, all of the logistical stuff of like water bowls and leash and collar, let's say mm-hmm. I was at PetSmart just last weekend and it, it ran us almost like 400 ish. Right. So we're probably at like 4,500 just to get started. If we, we think about like fixed costs on a recurring basis, what's going to be on my credit card bill in terms of food, meals, treats, toys. Is there even a thing like medical insurance? How, how much does that cost on um, average? That's a good question, actually. Too. We just got an email from a, an insurance company that wants to partner with us. And they said that their, their value of like yearly expected, let's say yearly expected vet bills annually would be $400. That includes shots and checkups and heartworm and all that stuff. So I think that that's a good ballpark number per year. Wow. Okay. Um, but that's not talking about food and training supplies and treats and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, with food, again, I mean, it's it's like anything else in the industry of what you get. Um, but I would say roughly like a decent bag of dog food, if you feed kibble, um, would be roughly, uh, probably... <laughs> 45 well being a shiba they're not going to eat a ton of food but Mm. you know a good quality bag of dog food is probably 50 dollars, and you're probably going through that depending on what size you get maybe every two months oh okay that's not bad no it's not too bad as i started watching a lot of puppy training videos online just just to kind of get a sense of how to prepare for this podcast i noticed that some youtubers have tons of different toys Mm-hmm. as a new parent i'm like well can i just buy one and or two and let them play with the same thing what do you normally expect in terms of recurring credit card bills for toys on on the conservative side versus the excessive let's pamper my dog monthly like crazy side yeah mm-hmm. i would say i don't know it just depends on how you know some dogs you throw a toy out of them they don't care so at that point uh you'd only have to buy one or two toys their whole life because they're not going to care about it but if your dog is one of those dogs that goes after all the toys and gives them as much, uh, you know, as much as much play as possible, then you know you may be looking at, I don't know, like a bark box. I think is like thirty five dollars to forty five dollars a month, but that gives you like three or four toys and treats and things like that. So it just depends on if you get one of those services or you go out and buy individual toys. Right. So for anyone listening and and wanting to get a dog, you know, if I was to kind of close off this piece of the conversation, it seems like to get started with the dog, it might be anywhere up to $5,000, right? Roughly for everything. Mm -hmm. And then about 100, 150 on a monthly basis for food and toys, you know, and and maybe even a few vet or medical costs as well. Yep. You got it. That's a lot, man. Yeah. Wow. Anything else uh... we missed in terms of costs? No, I think I think that that's it. I mean, I think that that's a good that's a good good place to start for sure. And I feel like I sometimes would err towards the side of thinking having a dog would be awesome. And the reason I wanted to talk to you was because I wanted an expert's advice on my blind spots. Yeah. 
Outside of logistical scheduling and financial implications, what do couples often overlook when getting their first dog or pet for the first time? Um, I would say probably training. I think so many times people literally like don't include training into because people think like we're going to get a dog and they're going to be great, but um, sometimes they're not great and you need help. I think personally, every dog should go through some sort of training class um, mm-hmm. regardless of the circumstances. So I think, I think just training is something that a lot of people overlook. Man, that's perfect. Yeah. Tom, this has been great. I feel like we've covered quite a lot here. Any other words of advice for couples who are maybe either newlyweds like ourselves or moving into a new place and looking and thinking about getting a dog? Any, any final words of advice? Yeah, I think just making sure you have enough time. That's the biggest thing that some dogs will fail at being the best of their ability is having a, a dog owner who's supposed to be responsibly in charge of the dog and helping them create new behaviors and teaching them what bad behaviors are is just time. People just don't have enough time to put in with the dog to develop them and to help them coexist with the human family that they're living in. So you're trying to get a dog, an animal, and you're trying to teach them how to coexist with your family and live in harmony. And I think people just often overlook how much time and effort that takes to make it as successful as they want it to be. Awesome. Man, Tom, this is so great. I know you mentioned that you do a lot of online training. Where could people find you in terms of your online videos and other stuff? Yeah, so uh, on Instagram, at Tom Davis, as well as my business, at Upstate Canine Academy. And then I have a podcast, uh, No Bad Dogs podcast, which you can search in any podcasting platform. And as well as my YouTube channel, which is Upstate Canine Academy. And you guys can um, find that on YouTube. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. This has been uh, this has been great. Yeah, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on. I hope that uh, people who are listening to this have a little bit more idea of what to expect when getting a, a new dog. That was America's canine educator, Tom Davis. After going through this exercise with him, T and I had a solid understanding of three key things when it came to time and money. Number one, long-term wise, buying a Shiba Inu puppy would be a month-long decision, but with 12 to 15 years of ramifications, which is the average lifespan of a Shiba Inu. Number two, in the immediate term, there are key schedule changes that we would have to make. Were we ready for the early morning wake-ups, not staying downtown for a date after work, always being home by 6 p.m.? And then number three, money. More specifically, $23,000 of money. If you think about it, it's about $100 a month, 12 months in a year, that's $1,200 per year, times, let's say 15 years, that's $18,000, plus the upfront costs of $5,000-ish of getting Arshiba in the first place and getting him set up, $23,000 of money. Was that an investment we're willing to make? After thinking through all of this, we pulled the trigger. We got a puppy. His name's Brooklyn. He's a Shiba Inu, and we are puppy parents. So you can expect a few more episodes along the threads of, help, we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're a dog lover, leave us a rating or review. 
and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, keep picking up that poop. JQ out.